So I bet you didn't know this. You know that Hershey's Kiss that you like? You know how it got its name? The Hershey's Kiss got its name from the puckering sound by the, the production equipment as the chocolate is dropped down on the conveyor belt. Just go. See, that's what you'll hear. That's how you got the Hershey's Kiss. Bet you didn't know that. Bet you don't care. <laughs> Somebody does, all right. Bet you didn't know this. You know that those X's and O's, you put hugs and kisses at the end of the line, you know how you got those things? The, the X symbolized kisses because in ancient days when they didn't know how to write, when they'd sign a contract, they'd put an X to say that they, yes, they agree, and then they would take it and they would kiss it to show their sincerity. And that's how you get the X's and the O's. Bet you didn't know that. Bet you don't care. Bet you didn't know this. You know where the phrase hanky-panky comes from? Hanky-panky stems from the magician's practice of using a handkerchief in one hand to distract the audience from noticing what he's doing with the other. That's how you got hanky-panky. Bet you didn't know that. And I bet you care. Because we've been talking these last couple of weeks about some hanky-panky. Starting in the first century, we've been looking there, and we've been looking at what has transpired with Paul's friends, Paul the Apostle, in the city of Corinth. Some of his friends have been waving a theological opinion with one hand and messing with God's order of things in the other. What has transpired is that there's some of those who said, it is my theological position that because of what Jesus has done in our lives and we've been resurrected to a new life, that this old age we're living in, this old culture is dissipating and we're more like what we are going to be in the future. And that includes marriage because when we get to be with Jesus forever, there's no marriage or giving in marriage. And so the women of this community were saying, we don't consider ourselves married, therefore we will abstain from sex. When the guys had had enough rejection, they were divorcing their wives. Or some were going over to the corner prostitute to fulfill their needs. They were experiencing, remember the old joke where where Adam is waiting for God to give him someone that he can relate to, and he gives him Eve, and he sees Eve... And this testosterone flows in his body and and he goes, oh, yes. And he picks her up and whisks her away to some moments of privacy. And just shortly thereafter, he comes walking back and he has this confused look on his face and he says to God, God, what is a headache? (laughs) Corinth was dealing with its own headache. And here's how Paul the Apostle responds to this issue. 1 Corinthians, the 7th chapter. Now, getting down to the questions you've asked in your letter to me, first, is it a good thing to have sexual relations? Certainly. But only within a certain context. It's good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife and the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other whether in bed or out. 
Abstaining from sex is permissible for a period of time if you both agree to it and if it's for the purpose of prayer and fasting, but only for such times. Then come back together again, for Satan has an ingenious way of tempting us when we least expect it. I'm not, understand, commanding these periods of abstinence, only providing my best counsel if you should choose them. So in this passage, we're going to stay focused on it again this week, Paul begins to give us a view of how God himself views sex and marriage. And I want to begin, out by, begin by simply saying this, that God's view of marriage is this, that sex is primary in marriage. And the guys go, yeah, I knew that. Yeah, you're right. See, our traditional Western view, and maybe I should even say our traditional Western religious view, is this, that we find somebody that we have good chemistry with. We date. We fall in love. We have this yearning to be with each other. We, we, we say we want to get married, and so we get engaged, and then we have the marriage. And then, then because we're married... We've gone through all of that stuff, and the guy says, okay, I do, and she says, I do, and now we're going to go on the honeymoon, because now, baby, I've done all the hard work. I get dessert. I get to, I get to do that, which that drive has been saying that I should do. And the fun part, the guy thinks, is because I am married, I can have dessert whenever I want it, because I live in the bakery, baby. I'm here. Our culture has changed that outside the religious institutions, and it simply is this, that you don't need to go through the dating and the marriage thing. That if you will, you go to the dessert bar, you can go to the Plymouth Tavern, you can go to, to the fitness center, and if you can find somebody who you say, hey, I want to have dessert with you, and they say, yeah, that's fine, then you can do that whether you have a relationship or not. So we have a religious view, and we have a, a modern cultural view but I want to take you back to the traditional Jewish view. And I believe it's on your notes, and it's a quote from a rabbi, Rabbi, rabbi Botich, and here's what he says. To Jews, this is completely unintelligible. The Bible says about the first human coupling that Adam came to know his wife Eve. Prior to their physical coupling, they may have known each other, but they were only acquaintances. There was no love. No one within the Jewish community would so degrade love as to claim that it can be possibly formed first in so short a period of time, and secondly, without direct physical contact. Love came only through physical intimacy. Let me take you back. Adam has no partner. God creates Eve. When he says Eve, when he sees Eve, he says this. Now this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Now... This is somebody com that, that's comparable to who I am. And then he says this, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. He says, and I will call her woman. Literally translated, man with a womb. He said, just like me, only the plumbing is different. And I like that. Now, in that context... Flow with me here in that context of bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Whoa, man with a womb. This is really cool. Then Moses, who wrote Genesis, then chimes in and he says, For this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father, shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. You say, Well, he's talking in a spiritual manner. Yes, 
But he's talking what is obvious at the moment. That they will become one flesh, that they will be coupled together in this physical intimacy. Centuries later, God himself in flesh comments on what transpired in the garden. And here's what Jesus said in Matthew, the 19th chapter. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one, and therefore what God has joined together, let man not separate. God joins them in this gluing process. Using continual sexual intimacy as an integral part of that glue. And so powerful is that glue that to separate those two is dangerous. We've been gathering here on Wednesday nights watching a series entitled Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage and and the author Mark Gungor makes this statement. In this act, a couple becomes completely vulnerable, open and yielded to each other And in this act of ecstasy, they lose themselves in each other in a way they would never dare to do in any other setting. And it's culminated in an experience that the Bible says is as strong as death. If you go back to verse 2 that we've just read out of that passage where Paul is talking to the church in Corinth, he says, It is good for a man to have a wife and a wife to have a man or a husband. The wording there, I told you last week, is a possessive exclusivity. That he and her possess one another and all others are pushed out of the way. It is also an idiom of the day. He shall have his wife and she shall have her husband means they shall have sex with each other. In possessive exclusivity. That glue is so powerful. That sexual intimacy is so powerful, it comes with a warning label. God says, let it only happen between two people who belong to each other, and no one else is invited. We say, I love her so I can have sex with her. We're dating and we say, hey, I love you, therefore we can have sex with each other. And we place sexuality as a reward of love. Understand what God is describing here through his writers. That sex is created to increase love. That when a couple who are in love and are are possessively exclusive come together, there is this gluing together that is so powerful that within marriage it is healthy, but outside of marriage it is incredibly destructive because it will rip apart your life. That's the warning. There is no such thing as casual sex because there's nothing casual about it. That is why Paul writes to his friends about going to prostitutes, and he says this to the guys, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 16. He said, and don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her, for the scripture says the two are united into one? Ladies, 
when a woman has sexual relationships, and I'm not a doctor, but, but here's what I understand, that there is a chemical released in the body called oxytocin. It is a neuropeptide, most commonly associated with pregnancy and breastfeeding. It is a human superglue that is released in the body so that you can bond with your child. And boy, does that work. It's amazing. But did you know that when you have sexual relationships, it is also released into your system so that you may bond and will bond with the person with whom you're having the relationship? New studies have shown that with multiple sex partners, the woman's levels of oxytocin lower and inhibit her ability to bond with her husband. That if we took ladies age 30 and over who have only had one lifetime partner, the divorce rate is 20%. If you take someone who had one partner before they got married, the divorce rate goes to 46%. And for someone who has had two partners before they were married, it's 56%. It's, do you ever, do you ever tape a package with, with packing tape and realize you forgot to put something in it? You ever do that? And so you rip off the tape and you put it back in and you put the tape back, but this time you realize that the tape is not holding as well as it did the first time. What I want to tell you, ladies, is that continual sexual partners will reduce the ability to bond easily with the one that you want to be with for your lifetime because the glueability, if you will, begins to diminish and the bonding becomes difficult. You will bond, but it becomes more difficult than it has to be. Guys, your sex life imprint will influence your sexual ability. Pornography actually damages sexual performance. You say, no, that's not what they told me. No, no, it damages sexual performance. Dr. Mary Ann Layden writes this, Pornography has raised men's expectation and demand for types and amounts of sexual experiences. And at the same time, it is reducing their ability to have sex. If I can simplify it, it's like this. That every sexual connection that you have, whether it is fantasy with self-stimulation or it is with a partner, Your mind, gentlemen, is created in such a way that you catalog the visual of that experience because you are visual. In the ecstasy you felt with that moment, you create a Rolodex in your mind of those images and those feelings. And it stays with you. And there is this danger that with multiple partners or actually having pornography in your life while you're married, introducing that into your mind, that when you get married and you have intimacy with your wife, eventually, after the honeymoon stage is over, you may discover that perhaps it is not as intense as you had experienced previously as you began your marriage or even before your marriage with other partners because it was so fun for you to do the hunt and find someone and conquer them, and there you are. 
And the danger is to want to replicate the sense that you had before, the feeling, the ecstasy that you had before, and you will go through your Rolodex and find the one that stimulates you at that moment, even while you're having sexual relationships with your spouse, and substitute that spouse for that image, destroying the bonding process and bonding you to a fantasy and not to a reality. And it will work against two becoming one flesh. That is why God said, Jesus said, don't lust. Do not undress a woman in your mind and go to bed with her because it will become part of your Rolodex. Do not have partners outside of marriage because it will become part of that which you will have to battle. You'll say, well, it's too late. I've done that and I've got those images. I want to tell you that you can overcome that. Paul the Apostle, in writing to the Romans, said, don't be conformed to the, to the thinking of the world around you, but be transformed, be totally changed by the renewing of your mind. So it will mean, mean that you'll have to start doing a mind change, taking captive every thought. We have counselors we can connect you to. We have resources we can give to you. And guys, I just want to say that if you're finding that even in your intimacy with your spouse that you are tempted to bring other images in your mind during those intimate moments that you begin now to take captive every thought and push them out. And part of the way that you can do that, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a few moments, is romance your wife so that she's your focus 24 hours a day and not just when you want to have sex. You will be able to change your mind. It's just going to be difficult. It's not easy. And for you that still have a choice not to put yourself in that place, choose wisely. Because the battle of changing your mind is a difficult thing, especially in the culture we're in right now. Tell me what television program you can turn on and not be tempted by the sexuality that's presented there. It's all over the place. So changing our minds is not an easy thing to do. But when we do, there's this wonderful thing that happens between a husband and a wife. It is, it is described by the bride in the book called The Song of Songs or The Song of Solomon. And here's what she says. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. She said, I want you to take me and I want you to put me in your heart and seal it. That word seal means to possess. Possess me and me alone in your heart. Nobody else in your heart. Seal me on your arm means let all your physical connections with people outside of our marriage be whole and pure and that you do not give yourself physically to anybody other than me. Because when we do that, that bond that we have is like death. You say, well, that's a horrible analogy. Except that it's death does not give up what it has. And so our passion is as strong as that. We will not give up what we have. In fact, we will burn like a flame. So you don't, don't you want people to look at you as you're walking down the street with your spouse and they go, oh, there's a hot couple. You don't? Okay, I'm talking about sex and you're freaking out. Just smile, would you? In fact, just say the word, sex. Thank you. 
For that to transpire, then we need to understand this, that sex thrives in mutuality. Here's the problem, guys. We think that women are just like us, only with some fun parts. And that frustrates women because they don't think at all sexually like we think. That's why one woman prays this prayer. Dear Lord, I pray for wisdom to understand my husband, the love to forgive him, and the patience for his moods. Because Lord, if I pray for strength, I'll just beat him to death. (laughs) See, that's why Paul the Apostle in verse 3 says this. The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife and the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Verse 4, marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other whether in bed or not. The wording in verse 3 actually is a wording meaning to pay debts. And the context means this, that if you are married, then sexual relations are due within marriage. That's part of the payment. And guys are going, yeah, baby, pay up, pay up. Come on, pay up. Well, I want to go further. Verse 4 makes it clear that our bodies are not our own. That actually, that when we give our body to our mate in sexuality, we're giving ourselves to them under their authority. But understand from which position this is coming. For Paul is not saying, go to your spouse and demand their body. It means, I'm coming to you with mine, and I'm giving it to you in submission, trusting that you will take care of what I'm giving you. So ladies, when your husband comes to you and says, I'm giving you my body and sexuality in a sexual act, they're saying to you, what I need for you to do is respect me. Which means that you will look at him and you, by your very actions and your passion, will say, there's no other man I would rather be doing this with and I want to let you know that I am thoroughly enjoying being with you. Guys, when you come to that woman and she, she gives to you her body, She's saying, I need for you to love me. And you need to give to her the understanding that you will protect her vulnerability. And that she is exclusively all you are thinking about in this moment and you have come to please her. She needs tender security. He needs exuberant embrace. Love says, I understand your sexuality and I've come to serve you. That is my priority. That is how God designed us and that is how that functions in that mutuality. Which means we've come to the spot where we've got to understand how each other's other functions. So I bet you didn't know this. That she has a lower sex drive than him. Now, understand I'm painting this in broad brushstrokes. There are going to be exceptions here. But just generally, she has a lower sex drive than him. Men, you have an assertive sex drive. It's that testosterone in you. You are a hunter. Women cannot believe how many times during a day you think about sex. They think you're nuts. Women, because of this flow of estrogen have not an assertive sex drive, but a receptive sex drive. It's not that they don't enjoy it, they're just not hunting for it. When I thought about this, guys, I thought, you remember the, the, the animated movie that came out last year called Up? 
Okay? You remember the dog with the collar? And the collar would take the dog's thoughts and make them words. And the dog would be talking and suddenly he'd go, squirrel. <laughs> squirrel. Squirrel. Best part of the movie. If you put that collar on a guy, and he actually would utter the words he's thinking while he's talking to you, sex, sex, because you're a hunter. She is receptive. And because she has that sensitivity, she's also sensitive to hindrances. Guys, if you're focused on sex, you will run barefoot over broken glass to get there. Because nothing's stopping you. But because she's so sensitive to the hindrances, she will be hindered by our insensitivities to her, to the fact that the kids are awake next, in the next room, the exhaustion she's felt throughout the day taking care of those kids or working and coming home and doing what she's done. She's exhausted. She's aware of that. Guys, when your testosterone kicks in, you could have not been awake for 48 hours and it's not stopping you. Or not been asleep for 48 hours. It's not stopping you. She has a lower sex drive than you and you need to understand that. Secondly, she needs to be warmed up. Guys, your motor is always running. Sex for the woman starts right here in her heart. And if she's not feeling anything in her heart, the switch is off. Guys, you think because you see a beautiful woman and boom, you're set. And let's go. Set. You think that if you show up with a studly body, she's gonna, it's going to turn her body on. It's not true. You guys got a picture there for me? <laughs> Pam, what does that do for you? <laughs> uh, we should just dismiss. It is not your body that turns her on. It's her feelings. And if you've been rude to her in the morning, it's not that she's keeping score, but we talked about this, because the mind of the woman is so interconnected, that feeling just can't be placed in a box over here. She's got that feeling all day through the day, and it's connected to everything she's doing, so when you come home and you go, hey, baby, I'm ready, she's still hurting. So those, those feelings have got to be dealt with. And she's got to feel that sense of, of care and exclusivity. She's very, very aware of her family care. Taking care of the family and the house. Do you know that in a recent survey, 60% of women said that helping around the house would increase their desire to make love more frequently? Some of you guys are going to wash the dishes today, aren't you? She needs a plot. A story. Our plot, guys, sex. Sex, sex, sex. Her plot would include sexuality, but also includes 
what's happening to the kids, what's happening at work, what's happening in the house, and what's happening before the sexual experience and what's happening after the sexual experience. It is a constant flow. Where's this story going? Where are we headed in this process? If I am just your sex toy, I'm not better than a prostitute in this process. You just pay me so that I'll live here and cook for you. Where's the journey taking her? Therefore, if you want to be involved in that intimacy, you must be involved in her life with romance, which means throughout her day, she needs to know that you care. Throughout the day, she knows you're taking care of her. Throughout the day, you're thinking about her. Throughout the day, you're pursuing her. You're texting her. You're calling her. You're giving her a card. You're handing her a flower. You're expressing yourself to her so that she feels comfortable that you are one who cares for her. She must have her desire awakened. And I'm going to tell you that we have books to help, God, help you t- talk about that as a couples. We have class on Wednesday night. I, I, I just found and, and, and dug up a, a briefcase that I haven't opened for 14 years. Pam and I used to do marriage retreats, and all that stuff that we researched for several years is in there. And I remember all of the research we did because it wasn't that we studied that we would become teachers of romance. It's because our marriage was falling apart, and we had to discover why. You've got to be students of each other. And guys, you've got to understand how your wife functions. Ladies, behind the testosterone is a lonely heart. You say, well, if you just tell me that. Tell me he's lonely. Ladies, guys do not speak in feelings. When's the last time you saw a softball team come off the field and sit down on the bench and one turns to the other and says, Hey, Bob, you okay? <laughs> he slid and in a second and he cleated, he cleated, he cleated me. And, and then he trash talked to me. I feel so violated. You're not going to see it. If you are, he's not going to be on the team. (laughs) Ladies, hear me clearly. Sex is part of the emotional communication of a man. If your man, for two weeks, doesn't talk to you, doesn't say a word to you, and you are so relationally communicating your emotions and he just ignores you, how do you feel? Frustrated. And when for a season you refuse his advances, you refuse to allow him to be sexually involved with you, and and Paul's dealing with this in this whole passage, you have frustrated his bonding process and his ability to communicate his emotions to you. It's one of his primary expressions of love and bonding. Ladies, your passion energizes his confidence. Every day he's out there fighting for his family, fighting to be a successful provider, fighting to have significance in this world. And there are people out there fighting against him and he needs to know that there is a partner who is waiting for him and that sexual intimacy is part of that that helps him realize that you are bonded together and partnered together. He needs someone to walk with him. 
So as I was going through that briefcase that I haven't opened for 14 years, I found some information that Pam had written when she was doing a retreat with women. I've never seen this until Friday. And I was, I was amazed at what she wrote. One of the great insights that she wrote here, and it's in your notes, that romance for women is affection and conversation. But for men is sex and recreation. And some of you said, I thought that was the same. Sex and recreation. For a guy, that intimacy is so vitally important and the fact that you participate in what he enjoys doing. And then she wrote to the lady, or talked to the ladies about what they could do to be actively involved in his life, in the sex and recreation. She wrote, be creative, discover what delights your partner, what delights your partner, and then make those delights happen in many different ways. If your spouse can predict what you will say, how you will respond, what kind of gift you will give on a special occasion, then you are in a romantic rut. Men are visually oriented. Don't be hesitant to change your appearance, try a new hairdo, different shades of makeup, change perfume, an unusual nightgown. Keep him guessing and interested. I'm so tired. I know. (laughs) Create a silent communication in public. Turn to the person next to you and mouth the words olive juice. Go ahead. What did it look like? Some of you said olive juice. It looks like I love you. So Pam and I in public would go by each other and she would just go, olive juice. Olive juice, you too. (laughs) Have your own private communication. Every day, try to do at least one thing that will maximize your good qualities, the things about you that drove him wild when you first met. How often now, especially with the kids around, and she wrote this when we had still had kids at home, how often do you comb your hair and wear makeup when he's around? Because he want, he's visual. He wants to be married to a beautiful woman, and he wants that woman to be you. Do you smile at him as you would a lover? Are you getting enough rest so you have the energy to be a mate? She wrote down, send him flowers at work. Cool. At quitting time some Friday afternoon, show up at his place of work unannounced and with a pack with a packed suitcase. Abduct him to a room at a nice local hotel, go for a swim, have a dinner, talk, dot 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 dot. I like that. At least once a week, more often is better, hug him tight with both arms, blow in his ear, and say something new, maybe even outrageous about how much you love him. And she writes cheap dates, quick dates, surprise dates, and she writes down ideas for that. She even writes down picnic in the bedroom. You just bring all the fixings into the bedroom, have a picnic, and then have a picnic. <laughs> lipstick on office paper. She's done this before. I've walked in and found on some of my papers her lipstick, and then she writes next to it, read my lips. <laughs> hmm. She did this, romantic postcard or postmarks. She sent out to the postmaster of all these places, a card for me, and then it had it had stamped with that postmark from these places. Bridal Vale, Oregon. Loveland, Colorado. Valentine, New England. Loving, New Mexico. Valentine, Texas. Kissimmee, or Kissimmee, but we'll call it Kissimmee, Florida. Romance, West Virginia, and Bliss, New York. Pretty cool. That works well with the picnic. I'm saying this to you today to tell you that she gets it. Guys need to know that you're their partner and enjoy what they enjoy. 
Sex is not just a physical release. It is a strengthening of a bond. It is the deepening of a love. It is integral so that you may develop the kind of love that is described by Roy Croft in his poem called Love. I love you not only for what you are, but for what I am when I'm with you. I love you not only for what you have made of yourself, but for what you are making of me. I love you for the part of me that you bring out. I love you for putting your hand into my heaped-up heart and passing over all the foolish, weak things that you can't help dimly seeing there, and for drawing out into the light all the beautiful belongings that no one else had looked quite far enough to find. And I love you because you are helping me to make of the lumber of my life, not a tavern, but a temple, out of the works of my every day, not a reproach, but a song. I bet you didn't know that. <laughs>